For someone whose entire career has been focused on joy, why a podcast on pain? Because these stories need to be told. A good phoenix rising out of the ashes story reminds us all that not only can we survive, we can thrive. And when we emerge, we're different. That's the alchemy of pain. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Alchemy of Pain podcast. Every time I say that name, I think, man, could it be something more uplifting, except for the fact that the content itself is uplifting. My guest today is someone I met, and when I read his description, he said, have you ever just taken your whole life and sort of blown it up and started over? And I was about to do that myself. And that resonated with me. And I said, I need to get to know this person. And I am so glad I did. We share a love and a devotion for personal growth and development. And today he works with some of the top performers in motorsports. But how did he get there? You're going to learn about that today. Kevin Kais, it's so lovely to see you today. Hello, Brenda. How are you? My friend, and I'm so grateful that you are my friend, and I'm glad for the world to get to know you a little bit too. Your company is Motai. What is Motai, and what do you do? Well, what Motai is a uh, mindset performance coaching company, and I work with high-performing athletes to take them to the next level. So. It's not for people that are broken or that need to be fixed. It's about for people that um, want to up their game and figure out what's either getting in the way of that or what else they could do to, to make that happen. So I guess if I were to put a wrap my arms around it, I teach athletes how to effectively communicate with themselves. Ooh, I like that description, but I have to tell you that because we have a relationship, I know you do that outside of motorsports because every time I have a conversation with you, it causes me to think about things differently. So I is Motai available to people who aren't in motorsports? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's for, who any, for anyone who's willing to do the work. Mm. Okay, so how did you end up in motorsports? Did you have a background yourself? Was it a sport that you were involved with? That's a unique niche to be involved with. Yeah, um, I raced as a kid up until I was probably 22. I raced motorcycles, I've raced cars, I've raced snowmobiles, I've raced bicycles. I raced anything I could pretty much get my hands on. So, okay. so you and I, I've always loved it. Yeah. And, and felt that how, you know, from, from my journey, how can I bring my journey of what I've learned and share it with something that I love? And isn't that the perfect union, doing something you love and making it your profession? I, I think that's admirable, but that's not where you started. I mean, people might get this idea now that you know Kevin was in motorsports himself he was a racer you know I think of speed racer and boom now he's working with high performance athletes but 
it didn't start there and I want to get there. But when people go to your Instagram, they're going to see a phrase mindset mafia, which you have coined. What the heck is a mindset mafia? Oh, I kind of just, because my demographic, a lot of times with the people that I deal with is anywhere from like 15 to 26. Um, that's just the, in the realm that I deal with because of the endurance it takes. And to, I think instead of talking about personal growth with a younger clientele, because it doesn't, might not resonate with them, you got to give them something that's almost like they want to be a part of a culture. And it's, it's almost a way to draw them in to say, Hey, what is that? I want to learn more. That sounds really cool. And it's not to be misleading, but it's more of another way than, you know, you can do it. You know, it's like, there's a little bit of an edge to it that says, Hey, let me learn more about this. And it doesn't feel like eating you know, your vegetables. What's that? It doesn't feel like eating your vegetables. Yeah, yes. kind of. And it doesn't feel like it, there's not like a vulnerability to it so much where it's like, because I'm dealing with a lot of alphas, you know, and it's like just a way to say, hey, this this can be alpha too. It's just going to be the way you look at it. Ooh, so one of my other questions was, what are the particular challenges of dealing with high performance athletes and their mindset? And would you say that alpha kind of ego, you have to have a healthy ego to get in there and do this work, which is really, it can be dangerous. It's highly competitive, competitive. And I'm sure they get in their heads. Well, yeah, we all do for sure, right? That's life in general. I just chose to, I chose to work with people that are really willing to do the work. I mean, I think I have a, a you know, if we were going to do a percentage, I'm going to say I have a greater chance of working. People, they're making me look good because they really want to be good because they're high achievers to begin with as opposed to somebody saying, fix me, or how come you didn't fix me? So there's victims and then there's victors and I try to deal with victors. And you have a track record of working with the best and the brightest and the top names and the upcoming names. And I'm always excited to see some of your clients on the stand getting medals and winning first place. But this is not where this story begins because people are saying, okay, yeah, great. So what? But then I just want to interrupt for one second and just put my disclaimer out there that the people that you do see are the people that have given me permission because it is confidential. And I do have a lot of high performers that are world stage that would rather keep it quiet because they feel it's an advantage to a comp competitor. Um, so I just wanted to put that out there that all my stuff is confidential if it if the client wants it to be. So that's sorry excellent. to interrupt you. Well, that no, that's fine. The discretion is really important, especially when you're operating at that level and you have, you know, sort of uh, client confidentiality, which is important. But I want to turn the clock back to about 10 years ago. Can you paint a picture of what your life was like? What were you doing? Um, 10 years ago or back to like, Oh, what's that? Back Sorry. to the car wash. Yeah, I mean, my parents had built a car wash in 1983 when I was, you know, in just in high school and really was not my ideal 
dream by any means, um, but it was comfortable, I guess. Even though it was uncomfortable, it was comfortable because I had some limiting beliefs. I wasn't smart enough um, to do the things that I really wanted to do. I had experienced some anxiety at that point in my life also. So it was kind of a, a safe place, even though it wasn't it was not in alignment with Kevin whatsoever. Um, so yeah, I did that and worked seven days a week for 20 something years in the Okay, weather. so let's, let's really dig into it because I remember you telling me about this and it really painted a picture for me. Freezing cold, New Jersey weather, holidays. Like, give me your most awful memory of being in the car wash and doing it seven days a week. Yeah. And I don't want it to paint it like a victim, but it definitely, I probably made it harder than it needed to be. Right. So I don't, so where I was at was Northwest New Jersey, right on the border of the Pocono mountains. And when you get salt on your vehicles, you have to wash it off or it, it rusts them. So we're actually busier in the winter. And it was a self-service car wash where the people would get out and do it themselves, coin operated. So you had to keep the walls chipped device. You had to keep the floors chipped device. You had to keep the front slip and falls, right? And then I had other machines and I did it on my own and I would have to direct traffic. And, you know, that's when things break and that's when it's the most miserable weather. That's when it's the longest days. So yeah, I mean, I've had pneumonia, I've had broken legs, I've had everything and I've gone to work because that's what you do, you know? And your work ethic is amazing, but when did you realize that the way I'm living my life 24 seven is not in alignment with who I really am? Oh, probably right in the beginning. So how long did it take for you to finally say enough? Thirty something years. Oh, and see, there is a sweet spot because the whole purpose of this podcast is, yeah, we talk about the stuff that was difficult, not to idolize it or create an altar to it or to paint the victim. None of my guests are victims. They are all people that said, okay, I don't like my life right now and I want better and I want more. And sometimes it doesn't happen overnight. And there might be someone watching right now that says, you know, well, I'm 20 years in, it's too late for me. Hey, this is my friend, Kevin. He slugged it out for 30 years doing something that he hated that was crushing to his soul. And finally he said, enough. I really admire that. And I appreciate that. And that gives people hope. So I guess to, if, just to rewind it, like, say so you asked me, you know, like, what did I used to do, blah, blah, blah. But what really was the big transition in my life, even after that, was when I was 19 years old. I've always been very nature, very adventurous, very all this stuff. So that's pretty much when I started to work at the business. But I got a really bad truck accident when I was in 19 years old, moving to Montana. Well, I was moving out West. I didn't know where I was going. That's how adventurous I used to be. Crashed the truck, was in middle of nowhere for quite some time, but didn't, didn't really think anything of it because I had always broken bones and wrecked things. And it was just like, oh, made it through another one. But then I started to develop panic attacks about a year and a half later than that. Never put the two together. 
And so basically, I, I wound up trying to avoid the, the fear of having a panic attack. Um, so I spent my life making decisions for to you know for a survival mechanism so I didn't have panic attacks or fear of money or all my decisions were made based out of fear. They were never based out of this is what I love, this is what I want to do, this is this draws me. It was, yeah, but what if? So I call it what ifing all over myself, right? And and I did that forever. And I got to a point where fast forward to mid 40s, crummy relationships, all because of how I was showing up, right? Um, I befriended an X game athlete who's like an extreme athlete and he became paralyzed. And I got talking to him one day and realized he was great at everything he did, even before his modality of sport. And at that moment, it clicked. I was like, who's really paralyzed here? Right? And he didn't let that stop him because he was mentally sound or knew who he was, I guess you could say even. And so that I just finally decided I didn't really want to deal with doctors anymore. I really didn't want to take medicines because they just didn't work for me. I'm not saying they don't work for other people. They just didn't, it just felt so foreign to me. And I need to understand things in order to buy into something, I guess you'd say. So I just dove into studying on my own, taking classes in psychology. Uh, I worked with a Navy SEAL for breathing exercises. I joined uh, sports psychology associations for, you know, I, I just dove in with both the, I'm done with this. I'm going to do whatever I can. So, and, you know, very intensive coaching programs and all that. So the question I always ask everyone in this podcast is what is the one pain that changed you forever? And so you point back to that horrific accident, but it's so interesting that you didn't connect the dots between that accident and the increasing anxiety for quite some time. Right. And actually, as you're talking about this right now, it's bringing up things because I don't feel like that's where we learn most of it is the self reflection. And, you know, and then so what I do and what you do is we guide people to help them do the self reflection other than the normal questions they ask. So um, I never put it together because I think that I, I gave myself such a I was, I was nasty to myself and it was, um, you're not a man, don't be a wimp. Uh, this, this little old lady just drove three hours by herself and you can't even drive two hours to a place you're not used to, like get a hold of yourself, dude. Right. And I never looked at myself with compassion because there's people that have had so many more horrific things than me. This is just me not getting a hold of myself and being a man so it was there was so many factors to it there was limited beliefs of intelligence there was um operating from a place of just trying to avoid anything that was uncomfortable and then there was that place of 
the, the really, really harsh, critical self-talk that was like, you're not good enough, you're a wimp, you're not a man, da 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 So it's very hard to come from a, operate from a place of, um, of a, a good energy, right? And so my, I started, my, my subconscious mind starts to validate my greatest belief. Yeah, you're not good enough. There's evidence there, there's evidence there, there's evidence there. The world's a scary place, there's evidence there. It never looked for the, the other evidence. So for our viewers, some of them face panic attacks and they know exactly what you're talking about. Others do not. And again, we're not building altars to our pain, but can you describe an instance where you were in the midst of a panic attack and how did it impact your life? What did it feel like? What was the situation? How did you adjust, have to adjust your life to manage this particular panic attack? Uh, yeah. You know, it's like everybody tells you the skills to do when it happens and everything. And I'm not a doctor. So to put that disclaimer out there, right? So I'm not giving advice. I'm just speaking from my own personal take on things. Um, yeah, it's, I often wanted to explain it to people what it's like. And then my question was, is why do I feel the need that I have to explain it? So I think there are a lot of people who may be listening and watching who have that negative self-talk. Oh, it's nothing. It's no big deal. And you don't really know what you're dealing with unless sometimes you see it or hear it through someone else. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh my God, that's what I have. I've heard people describe it like you feel like you're drowning, like you can't breathe. This is a really debilitating. Yeah, that's how mine showed up was I can't breathe. and. You know, then I would get to a place where I'd be like, no, it's just a thought. It's just a feeling. It's going to pass. And then the other side, you know, I always looked at myself as here's the side that of my brain that says everything's wrong. It's the side of you're wrong. And then there's the ultimate side of me that's like, I got this today and I'm going to go do this. And life is meant to be great. And then there's the other one that would creep in and rear its ugly head and say, you know, no, you can't. And it's easier to go this way a lot, yeah. but you have to train yourself. And, and as far as like panic attacks and anxiety, there's, there's tricks, right. Or, but I really just feel like it's getting to know who you are and what works best for you. Right. So I do believe like you hear people say it like your pain becomes your purpose and this and that and it sounds great when you're on the other side of it but when you're in it it's really hard to see the other side or see the possibilities right but i think the reason that i got to where i i guess and i'm actually getting emotional which i don't do because i i hate that other people have to go through this. And this is why I'm doing this. I do this because I don't want anybody else to ever suffer. And racing is just, you know, it's still a dream and there's still limiting beliefs and there's still these worries that they shouldn't be focused on. But I have a little bit of an edge to me too. So it works for, I can balance it better here. Um, sorry if I'm getting a little off track, but, uh, you know, it's just about, um, 
I think when you find out something that you truly love and truly are and truly want, that's your magic pill. And I'm not saying that people don't need medication, but for me, my medication became serving others and realizing how I operate at my best, which is being super creative, which is this, which is that. And I actually came up with my own personal philosophy based, based off of my values it was more of a vision and a philosophy. So I have, my vision is to continue to awaken the power within so I may creative, so I may fear less and creatively inspire others to do the same. So that is my North Star. When I start to get out of whack, I can check in and ask myself that question. Am I in alignment? If the answer is no, what do I have to do to get back in alignment? If the answer is yes, hey, cool, keep doing that. Because it's true to me, right? And that's what I think so many people get off track is, well, this person does that, that person does that, I need to be like that, and then I'll feel better, or I need this shiny object, or I'll feel better. So yeah, I'm kind of getting all over the place, but it's... And then for me, like when people used to say self-love, I like literally would feel like I was going to throw up, right? It's like, that, you don't do that. That's, that's, dudes don't do that, right? That's, that's the money phrase right there. Because I love that you are speaking to an audience that there are men out there who think it's a shameful thing to own information like this to even acknowledge it and who were where you were. But man, I'm so glad you're telling the story, Kevin, because it doesn't diminish you as a man. In fact, it makes you a fully realized man to own what you've been through, the tools you apply and learning who you are and being in an alignment with who you are it's a powerful place to be. And I appreciate you sharing that it didn't just, you didn't wake up one morning and it's like, yay, okay, I get who I am. And I, I it all makes sense now. No, you did work. You did. The well, work. the only thing that ever diminished me of being a man was my thoughts of what a man was, right? And I think a man or somebody that has guts or whatever else you want to call it, is the guy that, you know, so the other part of my philosophy is better than yesterday, not as good as tomorrow. And I don't care what that looks like, right? So, and it's like with, with the athletes I deal with, there's so many of them that are like, I have to win. I have to get this result. I have to do this. And then I always bring them back to, what do we got to do to make that happen? Because if we just keep focusing there, that's that's a waste of time. It's a total waste of time. We're, and we're also going to where anxiety lives and resides in the future. Anxiety can only live in the future. Explain that a little bit more. I don't know. Think about the times you've been anxious, right? Where are your thoughts? What you don't want to happen? What, what could happen? Well, it's all happened. It's all, these are all things projected out into the future. But when we can learn how to be in this moment and show up the best in this moment, that's all we have control over. 
I always so it doesn't always have to be woo-woo, right? Like personal growth doesn't mean like we're going to run around and we're, gonna, you know, and, and neither does meditation. Like people think meditation right away. They, I, you know, it's like when I work with my clients, if I say meditation, they're gone, man. Like, you know, it's like, what, what's this guy want me to do? So, you know, I'll call it being present. And so being present is going to get us closer to flow. Everybody wants to be in flow, right? And I'm not, I'm not lying to anybody. But when we're fully present and fully checked in with, are my thoughts in alignment with where I want to go? Is what I'm doing now where I want to go? What are some of the skills I can use to regulate my nervous system, right? Breathing exercises, this, that. Um, I don't call it journaling with, with those athletes because they're like, oh, what am I going to do, a diary? You know, it's so I just, I just rephrase things or reframe it to what makes sense to them what they can grab a hold of and but that's not even for them it can be for me it's like even i went and did all these courses and learned all these classes and what i did was i was like oh i like that put that in the cart i like that i'm gonna put that in the cart i'm not taking a whole shelf with me but i really dig these things and then what i did was i i was the guinea pig and i was like let me try this let me try that and then i I listen to people. Now, what I feel like that my benefit is, is that I've been on both sides of the fence. I've been the, I've been on this side, the what ifs, the worry, da, 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 da. And I've been on the side of real high performing. And I still have my days of the in-between, right? And the days of the in-between are like, all right, what would I tell one of my clients in this situation? And they also motivate me to say to myself to be like, am I walking my talk? I always say you can't give it if you don't live it. And you are living it, Kevin. So this is where the tools kick in. And I love that you're saying, look, you're not always in the sweet spot. We have this little area that it could go either way sometimes. And that's where the tools kick in. And I like how you said, not everybody's tool. You don't take every tool. You take what works for you. What are the tools? You mentioned journaling. You mentioned meditation, even though you don't use those words with your clients. What are some other tools? And what did you learn that changed your life? I think number one is self-awareness. Because you can't course correct without being aware, right? And then the willingness to do the work and not say like, don't make it about like, I have to, or I need to, because this stinks. I hate being here. It's like, what's it going to feel like when I'm there? Right. And then, and then encourage yourself along the way. Like, so that was one thing I never did was I never would give myself credit. I remember I had a problem flying and I remember coming back once and I was working with a performance coach and she goes, you did it. That's so great. And I was like, big deal. There was an 80 year old lady who sat next to me. She didn't have to pop a Xanax when they closed the door. You're going to tell me hooray for me. Like I literally was a, such an SOB to myself. Right. And what I realized as time went on, and then I started to learn more about, you know, neuroscience, um, is that when we can give ourselves credit, 
for doing these small victories, we, we release dopamine. The dopamine is the motivator to say, hey, we get a reward when we act like this rather than this. Let's do more of that. We're not even part of the, it just kind of happens, right? And so what I used to do was say, oh, I'll congratulate myself when I get to here. And that's what a lot of high performers do. Like, I'll congratulate myself when I'm on the podium, not because I did this for motocross or racing, like, in training, that's that's ridiculous. And then I came up with uh, the analogy of, well, when you get a dog, right, you, how do you train it, right? Nobody says, well, I'll give it a cookie when it sits down, lays down, rolls over and speaks and does all that. You're going to be a while, right? It's like you got to give these little, you're training yourself. And I think that's where people get lost. They like to talk about their problems. So the focus is on the problem. And so now shift it to the focus on the solution, right? What's that going to feel like? Get those emotions involved with that. Because now the emotions, the good emotions, are going to want to drive you to get there. But if we're always focused on a problem, that's all we're ever going to see. We're also going to feel the feelings that are associated with the problems, which aren't good. So now it becomes, I don't want to deal with that. And some people have different ways of not dealing with that. And we all know what they are. And none of them are useful. Creating new habits of thought. It's a practice. It's a practice. It's not a, and you got to be, and everybody trains their minds. They just don't realize it. You're either training it to work for you or against you. You know, what do they say? The the mind is either a, um, a dangerous master or a beautiful servant, you know? So when, can you look back on a moment, you mentioned the plane ride and you were still not willing to congratulate yourself for having gotten there. When did you see an instance where you said, you know, I'm really different now? Oh, I do it all the time. And it's, it's, I'll be driving down the road and be like, if this was three years ago, I would have never done this. Um, I think my biggest one of the biggest um, times that I had ever since I was a little kid, you know, magazines, professional motocross people, I always wanted to do it, but stayed small because it wasn't meant for me. I have anxiety. Who the heck's going to want to hire me if I got to travel across the country? And I was working with a, um, a factory team, which is like the highest level, meaning like almost like a manufacturer uh, motorcycle team. Everybody had gone out on the track and I was standing under the tractor trailer tent. And like you only allowed access to that if you have super special credentials and you just can't get there, right? And I'm standing under there and it just hit me. And it was even talking about it, it brings emotions because it was something that it was a dream as a kid. Never did I envision be showing up the way I did show up, right? But it was just, I think that was the first time that I was like, wow. And then even to move here, like I sold my house, I sold my business and I moved to Mooresville, North Carolina, which was, I don't know, seven, 600 something miles away. Left everything I had ever known to come do this full time with not even knowing I remember my, I had like a guy I sold my business to. He's like a, a retirement planner. And he says, well, what do you think you could make your first year? 
And I was like, I don't know, I've never done it. And I'm trying to create a niche in an area where you're kind of guilty until proven innocent because everybody's trying to sell them something, right? He's like, well, just give me a number. And I said, well, honestly, I said, I don't know. I'd be really happy with 10,000. He's like, a year? I was like, yeah. He goes, some people make that in a week. And I'm like, I, I have no idea. And leaving after that conversation, it definitely made me nervous again. Can I do this? Am I good enough? Imposter syndrome, blah, blah, blah. And then I just implemented the skills that I would tell someone else. And so, you know. Which is how we ended up meeting because I heard that component of your story. I was getting ready to completely change my life. What I love about what you shared, though, is even facing maybe only making 10000 a year, you were still willing to do it. You were free enough to say, you know what, I'm going all in on something completely different. And I have always respected that and actually gave me hope in my own life as I was planning a career change, starting a business and moving cross country. And I will always thank you for helping and inspiring me at that time. I rarely ever congratulate the people that I work with on the accomplishment so much as that like the result, but I will recognize, I had a kid that's very, very shy social anxiety and he would get interviewed all the time because he's aspiring to be an IndyCar driver and he, it would, it would be so hard for him. And people would bust on him all the time. What's the heck's the matter with you? Da, 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 da. And we just kind of worked on it. And I just, I remember I watched an interview that he did and he seemed really relaxed. And I called him up and I was like, that was, what an amazing weekend. He goes, what are you talking about? I got fifth. And I was like, yeah, no, I watched the interview. And he's, he's like, yeah. And I, for, so I knew for him that challenge that was a massive challenge. Winning for him isn't so much of a challenge. This was a much greater challenge, right? And so I get off on anyone that's willing, you know, the man in the arena, right? The man in the arena all day long. I'm, Not I'm everybody wanna... knows that reference, so do it. Well, just, you know, Theodore Roosevelt's man in the arena speech, read it. And um, I think even who is the lady that... Um, spoke about it. Uh, Brene Brown. She referenced it as well. And it's a great way to not get sidetracked by the opinions of others, right? And just how am I showing up? But, and to go back to that is that I think the self-love comes from taking pride that you're willing to step into the arena of the uncomfortable of rather than avoiding like, and I'm not saying that the things that you're talking about, but rather than avoiding how to get to the other side, how to go around it, because you can't go around it. I love that. And it's so true. And I always say in my experience, death was a catalyst for life. And I could have sat around and licked my wounds and felt sorry for myself. And that would have been the end of the story, but it ended up being a catalyst for me to actually change my life and pursue my dream, which is doing what I'm doing right now. 
So then you can almost look over your shoulder and say, I would have never asked for it, but I can actually almost say, thank you. So how do you see that intersection of the bad thing that happens? And yet here you are living your dream. Are you at a place where you can say, thank you for what happened? Because had that not happened, do you think you might still be at the car wash? Yeah, with some other things too, right? And there's a lot of times that life we look at it and we're like, man, that happened to me. That sucks, blah, blah, blah. And then later to find out, well, wait a minute. I think that happened for me. And I, and I think it's when you start to, when you really start to look at life like that, that's when, that's when you can get that catalyst, that forward momentum. Right. And I, I don't think everybody needs to experience big pains and everything to get there where they want to go. What I really feel, what I really concentrate on, who are you at your core? What matters most to you? Like literally when it's all said and done, when you're looking back on life, what matters, you know, how do you want that to look like? Right. What do you want that to look like? What do you want it to feel like? You know, and then everything else in between should fall into place. So I kind of equated to like having a, a GPS, right? This is where I want to go. Okay, type that in. This is where I am. This is my starting point. This is who I am. How do I get there? You kind of lay that out. I'm going to, you know, this is how I'm going to get tough my life, this and that. And then we're cruising down. And then all of a sudden we're like, oh, look at that. That would make me feel good. And we go off and then. The awareness, reroute, 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 get back on course. Not, what am I, an idiot? Why did I go here? Why can't I ever do anything right? No, just reroute and get back to where you want to go. And it sounds simple. And I know I'm kind of a little bit all over the place today, but no one's going to deny my passion. <laughs> um, but there's so many cool little tricks and each person's individual. And that's why I'm not a person that really enjoys doing anything group oriented. I really like one-on-one -on -one because I really do love to find out about the individual. You're really good at both. I'm just not, I don't feel like I'm very good at both. I prefer a big crowd of people. <laughs> For whatever reason. Well, because it's who you are. You love that energy. You love the interaction. You love the relationships. You thrive off of that because that's who Brenda is. And that's what I'm saying. Like, if somebody said, oh, Brenda, you can make much more money doing this. You'd be like, but I don't like that. And that's where people get messed up and hijacked because they say, oh, I could. Well, if I make more money, that'll make me feel better. Then I would say, what about the money is going to make you feel better? Well, because then I can buy this and that. Well, why do you want to buy this and that? Well, because then everybody's going to be jealous of me. No, that's not where we're going. We got to figure out what really is at the core of all this, right? I used to make way, 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 way more money than I make now. But I'm exponentially happier. And then what happens is it's like compounding, right? Like if you're going to invest your money, it, you get the compounded effect. Well, that happens with worry anxiety frustrations and it also happens with abundance and love and creativity and 
and passion. And so when you look at that, you know, is do I kind of tell my athletes a lot of times is like, is the attitude and the mindset you have right now, if that were a contagious virus, would you want the people on your team to catch it? So that's the awareness, right? It's like, because that is going to come out and you're going to get it back. You are a unique mix of <laughs> every bit a guy and every you know and I and, and I just love your sass your sarcasm you're funny as hell and yet as sensitive and deep as an ocean and that's why I treasure our friendship I'm so glad that people are going to get to know you more for our listeners who may be gripped with anxiety and it feels like they're drowning what would you say to them right now? Don't give up on yourself, you know, and don't, and don't subscribe to the BS stories, you know, that are playing in their head. Yeah. So I believe that, you know, most of us come up with we all have a story right when things go wrong i'm not good enough i'm not smart enough i'm not pretty enough i'm not handsome enough i'm not strong enough i'm not i don't have enough money whatever that is right but that came from somewhere right it came from somewhere i have a client that he lost a a big ride which means a fully sponsorship ride in another country because of his temper and somebody called me up and said, hey, we, we want you to work with this kid. And I says, well, he's got to call me. He's got to want to do it. So he called up and I said, I don't know. I said, that's kind of like, that might be out of my wheelhouse, right? He's like, no, I don't want to talk to anybody else. I want to try you out. And so we, I just asked a bunch of curious questions. Where did this, you know, when did you start to develop a temper? When did I, and he was telling me about a story about when he was in, uh, seventh grade went to a new school people came up behind him and they pulled the shorts down right well when they pulled the shorts down his underwear came down and new school seventh grade you know like totally like in that really area right and he he said you know it's like I don't from that day forward nobody ever messed with me again and I'm like why because I beat them I beat them up so bad, you know, and then anybody that ever messed with, they, people feared me, right? So what we started to realize, what he realized, because it's not, not my job to go there. It's what he started to realize was that that was his trigger. So fast forward 10 years, somebody talks trash to him at the racetrack or something, he's going to beat him up. Is it because of that person, because of what they said? No. It goes all the way back to here because that's this is a trigger to that, right? He realized that that was a survival tactic for seventh grade. It's no longer needed. So we can let that go. That's a breakthrough and you help people achieve. Oh, and he's, he's crushing it now. Because, and I don't, you know, he figured it out. He discovered it. I just, you know, it's kind of like what you do too. It's, 
you're not really telling people what to do. You're, you're, you're just very well, like you ask great questions. I'm, I always knew you were good at what you did, but we, you and I never really did this. And I'm like, you're asking me questions. I'm like, Hmm, damn, she's pretty good at this. (laughs) (laughs) So how can people get in touch with you? Um, it's, uh, motaicoaching.com or Instagram, which would be uh, M-O-T-I underscore coaching. And any high performance individual, you don't have to be in motorsports if you want to be a high performance individual. But I have to caution you, you got to be willing to do the work to work with Kevin Kyes because he will challenge you to think differently as he has me. Any final words for our audience, Kevin? Oh man, I could, you know, I'm sure after this is, I'll come up with all kinds of stuff, but just don't focus on the problem, focus on the solution and, and get out of your own way. And that, you know, I always look in every interview for what the title of it will be. And I love get out of your own way. That is such a Kevin way of saying it. And yet hearing your backstory is really going to inspire many. Thank you so much for giving us time today. I appreciate you so much. Hope to have you back because you know what? You're always changing. When I talk to you next year, who knows who Kevin Kyes will be because you're constantly growing and changing. And I admire that about you. Right back at you. And thank you for tuning into this edition of the Alchemy of Pain. If you know someone who has been through pain, come out the other side and become something amazing on the other end of it, just like my friend Kevin Kyes, please send them my way. I'd be honored to interview them and tell that story too in in the hope of inspiring others. So with that, have a great day, everyone.